Uh, I was asked before the service, I won't say who by, Chris Caldwell, uh, hey, are we going to get through verse 9 today? Uh, yes, and many, many more. Uh, so with that, uh, open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start by looking at that long sentence in Ephesians that uh, is, in, uh, is found in 12 verses, verses 3 through 14. Uh, and in these verses... Uh, we find 202 words in the Greek that Paul strings together to give us a robust theology and doctrine of salvation. And I want to give you three words to anchor you as we go through these. Uh, Three words to be looking for to, to kind of give you an outline of the passage. We're going to be looking for the work and who's doing the work. We're going to be looking for the worth of what's being taught in our response of worship. Because Paul is going to go on about the Trinitarian work of salvation. And he's going to talk to us about the role of the Father, the role of the Son, and the role of the Holy Spirit. And in this one long sentence that takes 12 verses, we find some incredible truths that we can hold on to. So let's jump in. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Chris, don't get nervous. I know we're starting where we did last week, but we're going to get through it. Okay, brother? Uh, So here at the very start, Paul is saying there is a role of the Father. And the role of the Father is one of, of, of choosing. God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, has chosen us that are believers. And then we are blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen in Christ before creation. We are predestined for adoption through Jesus, and this picture of adoption is such a great picture of the gospel. We were in another family, but God, through his grace, welcomes us into his family, adopts us in, chooses us to be part of his family. And Paul says, all of this is worthy of praising God. And we're going to see a repetition of that idea of praising God for what he has done. So a summary of this that we talked about last week, we are not an afterthought. We have value. God's purpose is intentional. He thought of us before the creation of everything. Before he said, let there be light, he had us on his heart and mind. And I don't know if that encourages you, but that encourages me because so often in this world, we feel left out and left behind. And yet our creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth, thought of us and had us on his heart. Paul will go on to talk about the role of the son. And what he says is, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. And I love this picture of lavish. He has an abundance of grace that he pours out for us. 
In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be the praise of his glory. See, we see the the role of the Son is in redemption, a forgiveness of sins. And he reveals to us through Christ the mystery of his will, the summing up of all things. And so I want to pause here and make sure that we understand uh, some of these concepts. Uh, For some of you, this will be review, and some of this may be new. But uh, we're going to go to Scott Duvall, who gives us an understanding of redemption. And Duvall says, Redemption is a release from bondage through the payment of a price or ransom. In this case, the price is the blood of Christ, the sacrifice of his life on the cross on our behalf. The result of redemption is the forgiveness of sins. Setting us free from slavery to sin was costly, but Jesus paid the ransom with his life. You see, we had a problem because of our sin, because of our trespasses. We were separated from our creator, God. And the price for our sin was too high for us to pay. We could not afford it. We could not earn it. We could not do anything to reconcile it. We were helpless and hopeless in need of a rescue. And by the gracious gift of God, the Son comes and ransoms our life by laying down his on our behalf. Through his blood, we have a forgiveness of our sins that pays the price to purchase us out of the other family and bring us to him. Praise God. Praise God. Another phrase in this passage, mystery of his will. Again, we use Duvall. He says, the mystery is something previously hidden that has now been revealed. It's like a secret, but an open secret to God's people. Don't you love secrets that you're in on and know about? This is an open secret to those who believe. The mystery cannot be discovered by human wisdom alone. Rather, God has shown his people the master plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. See, when we put our faith in Christ, we get the fuller picture of what God is doing. He is reconciling all things in himself. He is righting what has been wronged. He is uh, making whole what has been broken by our sin and our rebellion. Christ is the one in whom God sums up the cosmos. The entire universe was fragmented and scattered by sin. But one day, one day, God will restore his universe to unity under one supreme king, King Jesus. That is the mystery that is revealed through the plan of salvation. As God calls people into his family, he's like, let me tell you what else I'm doing. That which was broken in the garden, I am renewing, I am restoring, I am making right. And there is a day coming when I return. And all of heaven and earth will be unified and under my authority. And I will reign as king of all kings. And you will be part. What a great 
picture. What a great hope we have in Christ through his redemptive work, the work of the Son. uh, Curtis Vaughn says this in a different way that I just love. The ultimate destiny of the universe now rests in the hands that once were nailed to the cross. And in those hands, we are well kept. What a picture. Those hands that we are in were the same hands nailed to the cross. Paul says the work of the Son is redemption. We are redeemed through Christ's blood. We are forgiven through Christ's lavish grace. The mystery has been revealed and inheritance has been obtained because of his work. And Paul says, praise God. Praise God. Summing up this section on uh, redeemed by the Son, we are set free through his lavish grace. Entangled by our sin and trapped and enslaved, he sets us th- free by his lavish grace, a gift that we don't merit. Well, Paul will continue. Now he goes to the Holy Spirit. He says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The work of the Holy Spirit is sealing us in him, marking us with a permanent identity and security. Paul says the work of the Spirit is to seal you in him, and that seal cannot be broken. You are secure in him. Your identity is forever in Christ. And it also talks about it being a pledge of our inheritance, a down payment on what is to come when Christ returns. And what a great image that is, that it's just a down payment of what is to come. The Spirit's work is sealing us in him. And Paul again says, praise God. Praise God. This whole sentence is full of praising God for what he has done through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we see here of the Holy Spirit sealing, that we are forever secure in our identity in Christ. And I know that so many of us wrestle with that because we go through times where we struggle. We go through times where we take our eyes off Christ and we wander. And in that guilt and shame of sin, we go, I'm not good enough. I don't know if God still wants me. And then we're reminded, as the Ephesians were, that if we are in Christ, we are forever secure in him. Therefore, we realign ourselves to him. So, this whole section, see, I told you we'd make it through a little bit quicker, Chris. We see the triune God and his work in our salvation. He does the work. He's the one who provides our path to salvation. The gospel is worth declaring, and our response is worship. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the gospel is worth declaring because I came to realize that he's declaring this gospel message through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to his audience who, in his opening, he identifies as saints, as people who have put their faith in Christ. So why is he going back to 
salvation. Why is he talking about how the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit work out our salvation on our behalf? And I think there's probably multiple reasons. Two that uh, I put out there. One, because as they read this to the church, there is likely some people who uh, are new in faith or who have not put their faith in Christ. So he knows that there's an opportunity for them to hear the gospel. And Paul, if you read his letters, every opportunity he gets, he's proclaiming the gospel. He knows it is good news, and he wants everyone to hear it. And so one uh, reason he might do this is in hopes that someone hears it and puts their faith in Christ. But what about those who have put their faith in Christ, the believers that he is addressing? Why tell them the gospel again? I believe that one of the reasons could be because we are so forgetful. We believe the gospel, we know it's true, but yet we stray. Yet we get distracted. We turn. Sometimes we are weighing, okay, if I follow God in this area, that's going to cost me X, Y, and Z. And we go, is it worth it? Is the cost worth following Christ in this area? So Paul shares the gospel again and reminds them of the high cost that was paid to ransom us from our sin and trespasses. He tells us about the work of the Father who, before he created anything, had us on his mind. And the Holy Spirit that seals us in him, giving us a permanent identity. And I feel like he is saying, be reminded of what has been done on your behalf and live like it. He's aligning them to the truth of who they are by reminding and bringing it up again. Those that have forgotten, those that have strayed, those that are weighing their options are reminded that there is no other option but Christ. And we are called to live that way. So I think by including this section to believers, Paul is telling us the gospel is worth declaring. And in our small groups, in our homes, in our community, We need to be always declaring the gospel to one another as a reminder not to stray, a reminder of alignment that we are his and we should live as such. Because too often we forget. Too often we turn aside. Well, Paul then goes into a prayer in verses 15 through 22. And we're going to to read through this here at the end. But a couple of things I want to point out. Paul praises God for two characteristics of this church. He says, God, I thank you for two things, faith in Christ and love for the saints. The two things that stand out about the church at Ephesus is their faith and their love. And I love that picture because I think it's a challenge for us that we want to be, I want to be a church, an individual that is marked by my faith in Christ and my love for other people. But he goes on to pray as well, asking God for things for this church. And the three things he prays for is wisdom, revelation, and enlightenment. All the truth that he has just taught and all the truth he's about ready to go through uh, after, he is asking God to to bring an understanding, a wisdom of how to uh, apply it, and a depth of uh, understanding that will impact the way they live. 
And this is an incredible prayer. This is a prayer we should be praying for ourselves. This is a prayer we should be praying for our kids and our family. This is a prayer we should be praying over our church as a whole. Because if this is true at fellowship, God will use this body for incredible things as he has. And I believe as he will. And so I would ask you as one of the pastors here, pray this for our body. Pray that God would grow us in our faith and our love. Pray that as we go through these books of the Bible, as a survey of the Bible, as we continue through Ephesians, that God would make these truths uh, just ingrained in us, that he would give us a depth of wisdom and understanding. And that wisdom and understanding would lead to a change in our action, a change in the way we live. Turning to the page, Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is now going to give us another picture of the gospel. He's going to tell us who we were before salvation, who we are in salvation, how we are saved, and why we are saved. And this is another great overview of what we're about ready to teach through and things that you can be reading through throughout the week and just letting it sink in because we're kind of going through it fast and I don't want you to miss anything. So who we were. Verse 1 through 3. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul says, hey, I I want you to understand who you were before Christ. Before Christ, you were dead. Before Christ, you were in your sin and trespasses. You were sons of disobedience. You were children of wrath. Make that clear. Because once you know who you were, that you were dead in sin, you're ready for the big but. Because the next verse as we learn who we are in salvation, says, but God. You were dead. You were in another family, a child of wrath, a son of disobedience. But then God. God interacted. God intervened. God changed your course by his rich mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgression, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. We were dead, but because of his grace, because of his mercy through Christ, we are made alive. And that changes everything. But God, I am so thankful for all the passages that tell us of the reality before and then say, but God, but Christ. And they tell us what he did to change our reality. We were dead. We were children of wrath. But through Christ, 
We are adopted into his family. Who we are in salvation is alive in Christ. So what, what is the gospel? How are we saved? Ephesians 2.89 is a very uh, known verse. And if, if it isn't familiar with you, uh, to you, I would say get familiar with it. Because this is not only great as a reminder for you, but it's also a great verse in sharing Christ with someone else. When people say, how do you become a believer? This is a great verse to go to. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. You see, as Americans, as humans, we like to achieve, we like to accomplish, we like to overcome. But in this scenario, the obstacle is too great. The payment is too high. The debt is uh, more than bankrupting us. And we needed someone else to take care of this problem. We could not earn it. We could not do enough good to overcome it. And we were just left helpless and hopeless. But God, through his grace, saves us through faith in Christ. And you may be here and and haven't heard this before, or maybe you are coming to church because you want to learn more about God. Maybe things haven't been going the way that you envisioned, that you would prefer. And you're like, I need to to get my life right. I need to check out this God thing, and and I need to, to be better in life. And so maybe this is a step, and I'm so glad you're here, and I'm so glad that is your heart. But I can tell you, there is not enough good in this world for you to do to overcome our problem with sin. There is not enough works to be accomplished for you to be right with God. But thankfully, God did the work. Sending his son to live the perfect life, experience a terrible death, and to be raised from the grave so that he could offer us a gift of eternal life through his son. And we respond in faith and receive that gift and have eternal life. Going from death to life, not in the family to an adopted son or daughter in the family. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourself, not by any work so that no man may boast. Praise God for his gracious gift of salvation through his son. How are we saved? By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way to the Father but through the Son. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to him except through him. So now we have to ask the question, why? What is God's purpose for us? And I think there are many options. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just what Paul talks about in this passage. But I love how he says it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. See, just as God, before he created anything, had you in his mind, he was crafting and creating you with a purpose to be accomplished a path to walk in so that you could carry out his good purposes for his kingdom. 
And we need to spend time trying to figure out what that purpose is and how he has crafted us and how he wants to use us for his kingdom. And I got to tell you, one of the ways we talk about around here is if it brings life when you do it and other people affirm it, that might be one of the gifts. Said another way, when people hear me singing, whether it's down here or anywhere over there, and I go up to Ron and say, hey, I'd like to be on the worship team. And he goes, I've heard you sing. Believe me, that is not your gift. And then he goes on to really hurt my feelings by telling me that if I want everyone to leave early, just start singing. So we're going to try it. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Singing is not my gift. It doesn't matter if I want it to be my gift. I don't. Uh, but that's not my gift. That is not something that brings life to me. I do not want, I am so thankful for the men and women that are up here on stage, back in our tech booth, that are serving in their shape to lead us in worship week after week. But that's not my gift. What's your gift? Man, when you invest in the life of a child or a youth, do you just feel life welling up in you? When you're giving foundational truths to little ones or helping these teenagers walk in faithfulness to the Lord, do you get excited? And do you see them responding to you? That may be your gift. Are you someone like my friend Eric Martin who loves to go out and serve others and help people in You know, he told me a story yesterday. I'm so glad he came into my office because he told me a story of him serving in his gifting, going uh, to North Little Rock and partnering with Samaritan's Purse to uh, help with tornado relief. He said the first day he went out there, they were doing a survey of a home. They went to a guy's house to see what needs they had, what damage has been done, and how they could help in repairs of the home. And on that survey trip... Eric and the people that were with them started talking to this man about the damage that had been done and and how they could help. And he was desperate, and he was in need. But as they continued to talk to him, they started talking to him about a greater need that he didn't realize he had. And they started talking about Christ with him. And I'm happy to say that that homeowner put his faith in Christ that very day. And you think that's good. The next day, they went back to this same house, and the homeowner's brother showed up to help with the work. And as they were serving alongside him and helping this brother get up and off his, on his feet, they started talking about this Jesus. That's the reason why they were out there, the reason why they were coming alongside and serving. And that brother put his faith in Christ as well. See, this is a picture of what happens when, as we are created, that the workmanship of God, that his hand that has crafted us and created us to carry out his purposes, when we align with that and we are living in that, God does amazing things. But this also should encourage us that God is still at work. And we don't take enough time to tell the stories of God at work. But he is at work. So there are some things that God has crafted you individually, but he also has crafted us to do his work as as corporately. If you have put your faith in Christ, there are just some things that we aren't uh, asked if, if it's your gifting, we're just told to do. One of them is making disciples. One of them is being involved in discipling other people, the future generations that will take the baton and take the gospel further and further. 
And I would ask you, who are you investing in? Who's investing in you? Who is challenging you with God's word? And who are you passing what you have learned and how you, what you've experienced in the Lord to someone else? The Great Commission. Go, therefore, into all nations, making disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to command all I have taught you. And, lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission is not about gifting. It's about responsibility. We are commissioned as believers to make disciples to the ends of the earth, to further his kingdom all the way. And in that, we're called to share the good news. As Paul declares here, he makes it crystal clear, we are in our groups and in our relationships supposed to be spreading that good news, sharing it with other people, asking God to, to uh, change eternities of the people that we are in community with. Don't miss that. How has God crafted you? Is your life uh, reflective of you walking in his kingdom purposes? We are saved to do good works, among many other things. But Paul is telling us, man, you are crafted, created, and purposed to do the good works of God. So to summarize all of this, God in his grace chose you to be in Christ. Sealed by the Holy Spirit to do good works. Praise God. Praise God for what he has done. Some next steps to consider. I'll spend this week in praise of God for his redemptive work in my life. You may think, huh, that was one last week. It sure is. And it should be next week and the week after that and the week after that. Because we need to be reminded and responding to this great truth of God's redemption for us. Always in front of our mind of the depths he went to to redeem us and purchase us, to ransom us from our sin. And our response is worship. The second one is kind of like what we've been talking about. You're going to take the good news that you've heard, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and you're going to share it with someone that you're in community with, that you're in relationship with. Maybe even someone that you meet at the grocery store. I don't know what God will do. It could be the guy that you go serve and help in tornado relief. But there are people out there waiting to hear the good news. And we need to open our mouths and share it. And finally, maybe it's part of discipleship. Maybe you've, you've been tentative to actually invest in other people. Maybe you don't think you have what it takes. Let me tell you, if you have put your faith in Christ... If you have been studying your Bible at all, if you've been coming to fellowship for any amount of time, you have something to offer someone else. You just have to do it. You just have to do it. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but there's three options. We're going to close this part of the service. I'm going to ask you all to stand. Paul prays such an amazing prayer for the Ephesians, and I want us to close with this prayer, praying it over us, praying for us. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may 
Be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Lord, we pray this for our church. Father, we pray this for us individually. God, that we will grow in our faith in you. Father, that you would align us with you, that the overflow of your love for us will be seen in our love for one another. God, that you would give us wisdom and revelation and enlightenment into your truths as we seek them out on our own throughout the week and when we gather here together, that we would live faithfully in your purposes. For your glory, praise you, Father. Amen.